0: Hey, I'm Mike Kruse, the founder and CEO of Visible. As you scale your company, having the right guides at your side can make all of the difference. Each episode, we'll talk to fellow founders, investors, and experts. We'll dive into their of genius, as well as hear about their past mistakes to give you a better chance of success. This podcast is for founders, by founders. This is The Founders Forward. All right, everyone, today I'm so excited to welcome Aisha Dozier to today's episode. Uh, one of my favorite people who I've only known like virtually through email and Twitter, <laughs> but a long time customer of Visible. Um, I'm getting to see her live right now, which is super exciting. Aisha is a first generation US citizen. Are you a first time or second time founder? Second time. Second time founder. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. I, I, uh, second time founder. Um, and I think you have just an amazing story. Uh, you moved back to Nigeria when you were 10. I spent the better part of your first pro- professional career in investment banking and in finance. You're now the CEO. Aisha's now the CEO of Bossy Cosmetics. It's a women's empowerment movement, I think, first. Uh, cosmetics company second. Uh, some disclaimers here. Uh, I am not Guy Raz. Aisha was on. How I built this. So um, my question is not going to be as good. Uh, I have some huge shoes to fill. So I guess that's my first question: is like, how did you get on? How I built this. First of all, Mike, thank
1: you. Um, yeah. It's really an honor to be on your on your podcast, and you know I love using your tool, and I talk to people a lot about. Um, working on, like if you have investors, it's just a really neat way to give your investors access to what's going on in terms of the dashboard of your company, but then also to communicate. So I think what you're doing is amazing. I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Um, and honestly, the Guy Raz thing, I still don't believe it happened. It's really weird that that I was on that show because I'm a huge fan of it. But honestly, he followed me one day on Twitter and I thought it was a fake account. <laughs> and then he <laughs> And then he DM'd me and was like, oh, I'd love to, you know, I've heard a lot about what you're doing. Can I reach out and schedule a call? To which I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, of course, I responded with my email and somebody emailed me, set up a call, and we had a call. This was many months ago. And then fast forward months later, uh, his team, and the call with him was, he was just like, I'm talking to you. He's like a really cool guy. Well, he's guy, and he's (laughs) a cool guy. (laughs) And then he uh, his team emailed a couple months later and said, look, we want to put you on our sh- on our resilience series just to kind of talk about how businesses are dealing in these crazy, perilous times. And, you know, I think I fainted and woke up again and fainted and woke up again. Um, and then we did the show. I was super nervous. And so we started 15 minutes before it went live. And he just made me feel so comfortable. So that's really how it happened.
0: That, that's uh, so cool. I was uh, in my car, uh, driving to go play some golf and I put your podcast on, I listened to it and like, I was in the car. I think I sent this to you an email. the email was like fist pumping, laughing, crying. It was such <laughs> a cool story in like 23 minutes only. It was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, how did, do you know like how we found out about you and, and bossy or, or. You know,
1: I never did ask. It's so weird that. Yeah. You know, when you have someone who's like a celebrity that you've always admired, mm-hmm. when you get the opportunity to have close access to them, I was so starstruck that I didn't really asked him any real questions. And I'm usually good with my questions, but I just couldn't believe for the first time that I was on the phone with the Guy Raz. Yeah. Um, and then the second time, I couldn't believe that I would be on How I Built This. So I didn't really ask him. One day I will, I guess. Hopefully I'll have that opportunity.
0: What's, what's been the, the impact of that for you and, and, and your business?
1: Yeah. I mean, I knew that it would be powerful,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I thought it would be, I only thought it would be powerful in one way and it's turned out to be powerful in multiple ways. So I knew that web organic website traffic would just skyrocket right and that's what you want as a specifically as an e-commerce d2c brand you want to reduce your customer acquisition costs right you hopefully one day get them (laughs) to zero where people just hear about you from a way that you didn't pay for and they come to your site and they convert that's the holy grail yeah And that's what being on that show did for us is, you know, I I think millions of people probably listen to that show. And so they just run to your site. They want to know, especially when you're like me, you're a new brand, you're not a celebrity, you're not well known this whole process of discovery happens and people want to discover, right? So it's this organic traffic that just skyrockets. And then a percentage of those people will like the story, will like the website, will like the products, and will try them out. So that's amazing because it just opens you again to a whole new set of customers. So that's the one thing that I had hoped for and that did happen. The one thing that I didn't really appreciate, which I'm still, to be honest, coming to terms with is... You know, I listen to that show religiously and there's mm-hmm. so many entrepreneurs that I, I'm just so inspired by and they give me energy. And when I'm like super down, I'll listen to that podcast and I feel energized. Who knew that I would be that for somebody else? Right. Who knew? And so my DMs are filled with people saying, you know, listen to you on how I built this. I'm also building a beauty brand or I did this or I didn't do that or I'm just super energized or I'm also first generation or I'm a whatever. I'm also in finance, but thinking about leaving or whatever Um, men and women just being inspired by my story and reaching out to me. So I think that's the thing. It's really crazy when s- somebody tells me that they find me inspiring. I'm always like, really? Um, <laughs> I'm still struggling I do. I over mean, here. Yeah, it's- um, so yeah, those are the two things that were the outcomes of being on that show. Are you
0: saving those DMs like in a folder so you can like look at them when you're- when I print, print them out. For- I, put,
1: I print them out and every day I
0: look I at them like, Lord. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right. So I want to talk about Bossy. So uh and, and this can go, I mean, first of all, listen to the the the, the episode. It's incredible. Uh I, I, it was one of my favorite how I built this episodes ever. Like it, it is like, I think Aisha's story and then um the guy that started JetBlue, Blue uh was like another crazy story how he's like started multiple airlines. But like those are my two favorite, and I'm not even joking. Um, oh, so listen well, to the episode, you. it was so good. Um how did you start Bossy? Like, you know, you had this finance background and then I'm, not, I'm sure you've you know, told this story a hundred times, but just for our audience, like how did you end up starting Bossy?
1: So it's a bit, permit me to be slightly long-winded because yeah. it's not a direct answer. Um, you know, as you say, I had been working in finance for a number of years. And, um, you know, I kind of stumbled into finance, to be honest. I mean, I was, uh, you know, as many, you know, millions of Americans borrow their way through college. And, you know, that's how you finance, going to very expensive schools. And I went to Cornell, which was very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I was graduating with a lot of loans and I needed to pay those off. And so it's like, okay, my first focus is where is the money so that I can make it to pay off these loans mm-hmm. and the money is where banking is. And so that's yeah. kind of, and then I also liked it, right? So not only is the money where the money is kept in banks, but I actually really did enjoy it. I'm, you know, incredibly numerate person. I was really good at math and, and I just loved economics. I was actually an econ major undergrad. So I love just the way, you know, the smallest impact on one part of the world can have an amazing ripple effect across financial markets, economic markets, et cetera, fiscal policy, et cetera. So that was always fascinating for me from an academic standpoint. So the opportunity to do it in real life and make money for me, it was a no brainer, um, and I kind of took that as this is my responsibility that I need to do for mm-hmm. respectability. And then I thought, you know, once I've done that, I'll do the thing that's I'm really passionate about. I didn't know what that thing was, but that was sort of the way my mind worked: do the respectable thing, which your parents want you to do, make the money, pay off your loans, and then you get to have fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that in my in my young mind, I thought that's the way the world. Would you do
0: it different today? Would you like? Go and and start something today, or do you think like you did it the right way? We we'll can into that later because I know we're getting. So with- so
1: here's the thing: I really believe that regret is a useless, wasted emotion. Like it literally takes up energy that you can use for something else. So I don't even. I'm, my brain is not configured to answer that question. Because what is the point of it, right? It's like, I've already done it the way I've done it. And I had a good one thing is I'd never do things for stupid reasons. They may appear unwise to someone else. But for me, given my own risk tolerance and the various factors that I'm juggling at that moment, my decisions are always 100% right, or at least right for me in that moment. And the one thing that I always say is, you know, I'm not risk averse at all. I actually always bet on myself. So I will bet the house um, as far as it's on me, right? Because I have an unbelievable belief in my ability to do and to deliver on what I am committed to doing. So anyway, so I do this, so I jump into finance, I do it, and, you know, of course, you know, you start off as an analyst, you become an associate, you become a VP, like you're moving up and up and up, and, you know, you're working on really fascinating deals, amazing deals, you're getting a nice little bonus check, and you're paying off loans, and then you buy nice things, and, you know, you kind of get into the trappings of life, and you start saying, well, this whole thing about passion, what is that really? Um, Then you start interpreting to yourself that, you know, pursuing passion is really just a way to be poor. And if you've been poor before, you never want to go back to it. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I just kept doing it. And as you said, I started a business. I took a sabbatical from investment banking at one point. This is about like nine years ago, um, where I started a children's play and activity center. So I had one child at the time and was pregnant with my second kid. And we were living in Nigeria and I was burnt out from banking at the time, but was not fully committed to leaving. So I just took some time off pre my um, having the pre my even having the baby. And I started this children's play and activity center, which was wildly successful and it was unique and one of its kind in in Lagos, which didn't have anything like that at the time, where it was really just a place for parents to come and hang out with their kids. Now, that happens a lot here in the US, Mm -hmm. but in Nigeria, it just doesn't. Uh, Kind of like a Gymboree, um, where we did lots of great cool activities and the foundation was that children learn through play and it gave children that opportunity to get involved in artistic endeavors, music, just all sorts of really exciting things for really young kids ages one to six. Um, and it was wildly successful. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I went back to banking. What
0: happened to that children's center? So I sold it. Oh, amazing. I sold it. I sold it. And um,
1: that was a very different business from, I mean, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but (laughs) it was cash flow positive very early. I'll always remember the lesson of when you have fulfilled a complete white space, like a need in the market that doesn't, exist um, it, it, it's a beautiful thing to see yeah. as opposed to you know what I'm doing now which is really recreating and reimagining but anyway, yeah. So fast forward, I go back to banking. I'm in banking. But then now I've already tasted being an entrepreneur, right? I've already tasted building my own business. And so even though I'm now very senior in banking and I am running a business at the time, I was running um, the whole of the investment banking business for the West Africa region for a, a South African bank. I didn't really like it. Like, I was, you know, when you get that senior, you're in boardrooms all day. You're not actually communicating with customers. You're not in the trenches anymore. It's just not exciting. Um, And after four years, I got bored. And not only did I get bored, I got sick. Um, I was highly stressed just super stressed, traveling all the time. At this point now, I have three young children. And I um, was ultimately diagnosed with hypertension. And my doctor was like, listen, you need to make some massive life changes. And for me, the minute he said that, you know when you have this niggling thing in your mind, like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, and you have a massive event Mm -hmm. where you kind of feel like, wait, I could have died. And then that for me was just, I'm leaving, not coming back. And that was it. So I, I quit. Moved out to Palo Alto to do a fellowship at Stanford um, called the Distinguished Careers Institute Fellowship. And that was just, for me, incredibly transformational. I spent that year mostly at the design school. Um, And then I just sort of got in touch with about that passion that I had 20-some-odd years ago. When I graduated, I was always interested in fashion, always interested in beauty, always interested in style. But more importantly, the benefit of the 20-some-odd years of working was that I was just really passionate about getting more women to the level that I had gotten to, right? Because yeah. when I started out, it was sort of 50-50. And then as you go, as you go, as you go, you look around the boardroom and you're one of everybody at the table. And so I always kind of wondered, how did that happen or how does that happen? And I wanted to be a part of, of the change. And that's how I started balsy So like I said, it's a long-winded answer, a but it's everything.
0: I love how uh, you had the stress and, and hypertension in your life, and then you started to send a company. <laughs> like,
1: I, know, I, mean, I mean, literally.
0: I, like, uh, I we'll, we'll, need we'll into, I've had a lot of those issues, too. And we'll get into that. Um, uh, but how did you end up... So if, if I recall, you you, know, you grew up in, in the Cambridge, Massachusetts area. You're back in Nigeria and, and like Lagos at this point. How did you end up getting into that program at Stanford?
1: Oh, so again, another weird um, happenstance. But so when I felt ill, I knew I had to leave, but I didn't know what Mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And I kind of, you know, the saying of insanity is the definition of doing is defined as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting mm-hmm. different results. So if you look at my resume, I've pretty much worked at every investment bank. I've worked at Goldman Sachs. I've worked at Morgan Stanley. I've worked at Lehman Brothers. I mean, I've worked in a lot of banks yeah. in almost every continent of the planet. So, And I've worked in m I've worked in equities. I've worked in business development. I've done a lot private, public. I've done a lot of different things. So it wasn't like, OK, let me go work for Citibank to try something new. That had then now become very boring. Like, stop moving all over the world, doing all sorts of things, and take some time to reflect and to think. You've got a lot of experience, but you haven't had time to really unpack it all. And so I just wanted somewhere to take the time. But I knew I couldn't just sit at home for three months because I'm a busybody, right? If I sat home for three months, I would Be busy. So I said, how do I use myself in the best way? And I knew that going back to school would be the way that I would have. I'm a huge believer in in just sort of, you know, amazing educational institutions and how they can really help you fix jigsaw puzzles, like all the missing pieces. They give you the frameworks to put it together quite nicely. So I knew I wanted to go back to school. And obviously, I'd already had an MBA, I think, almost 20 years ago at that point. And so mm-hmm. you don't get a second MBA. That's silly. So I started to do research um, through a series of really sort of fortunate events. Um, I happened to be in San Francisco. I took a vacation out here. And a friend of mine said he was going to campus. And in the Uber, I just Googled, you know, programs at Stanford for people over 40. <laughs> and <laughs> I love and my all. fellowship cape was one of them. And so I clicked and found the director of the program and emailed him and said, look, I'm on my way to campus. I live all the way in Africa, so I'm not going to be back <laughs> in California anytime soon. Um, can I meet with you? And we sat down for I don't know three or four hours, him and I, talking about life. He's another I mean just amazed. Like my grand, I feel like he's my grandfather. He's just an amazing, distinguished individual himself, uh, and really wise. And we sat down and talked about life, and I told him about my recent diagnosis, and he's actually a doctor. And he told me about why he started this program. And he's really trying to get people who've demonstrated some level of success in their lives and are trying to transition to significance. And he wanted to create this thing around purpose and wellness around this notion of leadership. And it just was like, what? How do I, how can I be down? (laughs) And I think six months later or so,
0: I was here holy cow so you just moved the family out with you too yeah i think my husband thought it was crazy i i was
1: like hey there's this program at stanford and we're it's for a whole year and we it's residential you have to be there and you can't work and so we're all going to go I don't
0: and think palo is believe- not cheap
1: no i mean are you kidding me not even close <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean certainly we are privileged if i contrast the way i came to this world and the way i am i am certainly blessed that I can pick up, quit my job, move my family to a very expensive place and live and pay for a fellowship and and, and be here and, and all of those things. I certainly 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 recognize the privilege that I enjoy to do all of those things.
0: Do you think you'll ever go back back to Nigeria?
1: to live very unlikely i've tried it a few times and it's weird because when you're in nigeria sometimes you struggle with a lot of the american aspects of you and then when you're in america you struggle a lot with the the nigerian aspects of you Mm -hmm. so um, but i think when i think about alignment in many ways actually california is a really amazing place for me because I just over time have really loved my own company and Mm -hmm. I love, you know, deciding exactly what I want to do. And in Nigeria, there's a lot of women, especially carry a lot of burden a cultural thing that I'll never be comfortable with. I am a wife, I am a mom, I do recognize those things, but the burden that the Nigerian culture puts on us as women uh, is is more than I'm willing to carry. Um, And I don't feel that burden here in in, in America. So I think for at least for for the foreseeable future, I'll be here, but I always go home to visit. We still have our home in Lagos, so I consider it home as well.
0: I want to come hang out someday and, and, must. and come. yeah, I would lo- I would love that. Uh, so so one of the things I found really interesting in uh, your interview with Guy was you talked about you knew you wanted to do something with beauty, uh, and you had access to this data as part of this fellowship at, at Stanford. And, and one of these interesting really data points was um, that women uh, do not have the same loyalty to lipstick like they do with other uh a uh, beauty products, so products. Product?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah and you mentioned you you love color like what what is it about color like that you, you think has you wired that way you're like i want, i know i love color i want to do something with color and i now i have this interesting insight that like lipstick could be that opportunity
1: yeah so i don't know if you can see the background of my office yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i can show you later around my home i um have very, my walls are adorned with super, super bright paintings. Uh, color just, this is really, I was born that way. That mm-hmm. I, I can't answer correctly. I love yeah. bright colors. I, you know, want to walk in when I, I feel so at home when I come in and there's just beautiful tapestry of different colors, a kaleidoscope. It just, I feel so settled and comfortable in that. I've always loved art and I like art that is very colorful. Um, and sort of very abstract, but tells I've really seen it on deep. your
0: Twitter. I'm like, man, where did you get that? I have to yeah, imagine it's because it's they're
1: been, so cool. <laughs> I've always been an art collector. Um, yeah. So color has just always been my thing the way I dress, the way everything. So that's kind of my thing, the way I express myself. Um, And then for me, beauty. So at the time, when I was at the design school, I took this cool class called Transformative Design. And you basically run a whole design process on yourself, which is You know, you are the test. You are the prototype. What do you want to do with your life? It's like running that design experiment on yourself. And it was deeply, deeply, deeply introspective and cathartic for me. But what it did was it made me sort of peel away all the layers that you build with life. Right. And I just asked myself a very simple question. What would you what would excite you if you didn't have to think about money? Right. Because if you think about it, 20 some odd years ago when I started my career, you know, my first job in finance was 1995. I was focused on money, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think I made $600 a week. And to me, that was a billion dollars. I mean, <laughs> I could not believe that somebody pre-tax was giving me $600 a week. <laughs> I thought I was rich, rich, okay? And I needed to be rich, rich because I was paying my own way through school. And so my, my, my decision-making at the time was very much coming from a place of desperate need,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And now, as I said, you know, not that we don't need to make money. Clearly, we're not billionaires. My circumstances are very different now. And so I wanted to challenge myself to kind of step out on faith now, but faith in a way where I knew I would not be hungry and starving. Um, And so I said to myself, if you didn't have to make money, what would you do that would just excite you? Like you would love going to work every single day. And I went on a walk. I started really, and I like to uh, to visualize, I'm a very visual person and I just was walking and I just started seeing lots of colors, right? And I started seeing lots of really amazing women and just my friends and, you know, women I didn't know and getting to network with women. And this was just the, I was getting so excited with just this imagery of color, you know, big windows and women. And I was like, okay, well, what does this mean? You know, and I knew I was not going to be an artist because I have zero talent. Like, that's not something you can fake. <laughs> it's not something you can cultivate in your 40s. So I knew that, OK, all this color you're seeing, um, yeah, you're not going to be a painter. painter. then I just started thinking about women and, you know, and I really do feel that my purpose is to is to help ignite and power and courage women to take the path that they have set for themselves to remove this notion of I can't do it it's not possible right it's that ignition of just unbridled ambition that I feel is my purpose in this life like I feel that's what God made me to do I still don't know how I'm supposed to do it but that's what I feel is my thing like do it, you can do it, you can do it, we can do it. And we, have, we suffer with imposter syndrome, we have self-doubt, but let's keep going, we can do it. So I felt like, okay, that's my purpose. And then I wanted the intersection of the passion and the passion was color. And I thought, what is the most intimate way you can have a conversation with a woman? And it's if you sell her products she uses on her body. And that's where I got to, okay, we're gonna do something. We're gonna create products for women right? Because I'd done a service business before and I felt a lot of the limitation of the service business is that it was very difficult to scale that business, right? Because it was a location specific business. Like we were operating at hundred percent capacity all the time, but then how do you scale wildly? You can't, right? Because you can only fit so many people in a location. So I already knew the limitations of one successful business. And I thought, okay, I want to create a business where there is no limit to the way that I can scale so that's how I got into products and so it was really just a process of breaking things down based on what I think my purpose is where i think my passion is and you know lessons that i've developed along the way and I thought of beauty and I thought, wait, color, right? Women love color on their faces. If you Google some of the most successful women out there and they're giving a speech or whatever, they always have on some level of cosmetics, right? And it can be, it can be a photographer. You can be a fortune 500 CEO. You can be the manager at CVS. You can do whatever. And most women like to look nice and it has a lot to do with the way we feel, and so I was like, OK, we're going to we're going to kind of find a way to sit at that purpose and passion and see if there's something there.
0: Oh, I was like fist pumping all <laughs> over again when you get that. Speech. <laughs> I'm going to go put on lipstick right now. It's, 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 there we go. <laughs> what um, that yeah, I mean, it, it's just I, I love you can just feel it coming through the, the, the microphone. So so in terms of Bossy as a business, you guys launched early this year right last year or last, last year. year last year last year I think one of the things that, that's been talked about is you've raised a little bit of starter capital from friends to get going um, and one of the things that you did was try to fundraise for for bossy can you can you just talk me through that you know why were you raising capital and, and what was the process like? Um, that ultimately you're like I'm gonna go bootstrap now. I would love just to hear about that because I think a lot of founders struggle with fundraising. It's incredibly hard. Uh, yeah. The data proves that you know if you're an underrepresented founder, you're if you're a woman, uh, the odds are even more stacked against you. So, yeah. so what was that process like?
1: So I think that I was naive in starting it and it's interesting because i'm a finance person why would you be naive Mm -hmm. about this but i think that when you have all of the businesses that i've worked with as an executive are large corporates right um massive businesses. Um, I've never really worked with venture capitalists, to be honest, the guys who write checks generally are private equity investors with the clients that I've worked with. So I've never really had very close exposure to fundraising for very small businesses. I did understand that it's very emotional at that seed stage. It's more about, do you believe in the founder? Do you believe in the market? Um, And if you think that market is interesting, if you think that founder is amazing, um, it's a bet, basically. I mean, yeah, fine, write a deck or whatever, but quite frankly, 100% of the VC investors I know will tell you that they know for sure that your deck is saying the wrong thing in terms of projections. And so as someone who has lived, lived and breathed and created financial projections, I know that that's just nonsense. Like you're just creating them for the sake of it, but really, decisions are made based on the person. Now, here I am trying to encourage women to be super confident and ambitious. And I'm like, well, I mean, if you're looking for an amazing founder, look no further. (laughs) So I think I had this, and I did know the stats that it was difficult to fundraise as a woman. I did know the stats that was virtually impossible to fundraise as a black woman, but I really felt like, but it's me, I'm special. I've done Mm -hmm. it before, and I've done it in so many different ways and i don't think i went about it in the beginning in the right way i thought well if you just email a bunch of people if you take intros from people um, it should be easy so emailing a bunch of people doesn't work even though people say that you should do it, I don't believe it. Um, I, it didn't work for me. I emailed a whole bunch of people. Nobody, I don't think anybody responded. I took a number of meetings with people, which, quite frankly, I found very disappointing. First of all, they say warm intros are the best. I think that's yeah. another way of preventing people from underrepresented backgrounds mm-hmm. from having access, right? Because how many people are have the best friend of Reed hoffman or the best friend of the guy who does you know Andreessen horowitz or any of these major firms how many black people are walking on the streets with those ability to ask for the warm intro right so that's already discriminatory quite frankly Um, and then if you are fortunate enough to get an intro to a venture capitalist my experience and i've been very vocal about this and so sometimes i feel like i'll never get a venture capitalist to invest in me because i'm so vocal on this but that's mm-hmm. fine i think that they cannot help but see that i'm a black woman
0: mm-hmm.
1: right and it's not in all of its splendor it's in all of its concern the minute i mean this was obviously pre-covid when we could meet with people every single investor is like, "Well." But okay, we get it. It was always the but, the butt, the butt. Like yeah. do you really think that you can encourage non black women? Do you really think that you can inspire non black women? That was all and it was always the are you only targeting African American women? It was always this trying to niche you and put you in a tiny box. When I would never, I mean, you look at my deck, you look at my page, you look at my social media. I have never said anything about, I only want to sell lipsticks to black women. But this is what they saw when they spoke to me. And it it was just, it is, remains demoralizing and discouraging and off-putting. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact, you know, my white female friends who fundraise, nobody asked them. Do you think you can only sell to white women? Do you have a problem with reaching across to different races or cultures? And so it just, it's the thing that bothers me, to be honest with you, Mike, if I'll be, I mean, honest, I am being honest, is that obviously I don't believe that we should be colorblind, right? Because we have different cultures and i think that we just if we try to pretend we're colorblind first of all we're not but then we just erase everything that's interesting and beautiful about people but then the point about not being colorblind then is that that's all you see yeah. When you speak to me, you can't get over the fact that this is a black woman. And is she really going to be able to deliver? And what I have found so amazing when I told you is that people that have DM'd me after my Guy Raz interview is, I always go and look at the picture of the person. 99.9% of the people who've told me that I've inspired them are white. <laughs> what? Yeah, I okay. mean, they yeah. are white. So I'm like, okay, but venture capital investors think that I can't do this. So I just realized very early on that, you know, trying to help people with their very conscious bias is a waste of my energy and time. You have to remember, as I said, I started on on Wall Street in 1995. It was not what it is today, okay? It was an incredibly biased place. I was working at Goldman Sachs as a Black woman, one of two on the entire floor. I know what I went through over a 20-year career. And I thought to myself, I've been through this journey. I'm not in my 40s going to deal with this shit again. Excuse
0: me. <laughs> no, it swears a lot on this podcast. I'm <laughs> not, out I'm not there, dealing
1: go. with this. So I just decided I'm not speaking to these people because if you only see a brown face and you can't see past it, I don't, you're going to put so much negative energy in my space. And remember, I'm doing this because I love it. I'm enjoying it. I'm creating things and people are buying my products. So you know what? Maybe I'll just Reach out to the people who actually believe in me and take some of my savings. Um, And let's just, you know, maybe you don't have to raise two, $3 million and go like this. Maybe you just take your time right? And there's something to be said for that patience. And, you know, I am a newbie in the industry. And so there has to be a lot of humility in terms of learning, right? What you don't know that you don't know. And mm-hmm. so it's been a blessing, a way in a disguise that, you know, when you have less money, you, you don't have money to waste. So I got some money from some friends. I got, my first check I got was from someone who is an advisor to me. His name is James White. And James is uh, was the CEO of Jamba Juice. And he's now sits on a bunch of different boards, an incredibly successful executive. And he saw that I posted something on LinkedIn before I had even launched. And he calls me and he goes, wait a minute. You know, we were at the Stanford program together. He's like, wait, you're starting a company? And I told him about what I was trying to do. And he was like, I want to cut you a check, Aisha. He's like, I believe in you. Anything you say you want to do, you can do. And I believe you can build a billion dollar business. And it was crazy because I hadn't even thought that far yet. And the fact that someone like James just believed in me and wrote me a check was so energizing for me. I don't have institutional capital. I I am 100% certain that it is a blessing in disguise. Um, You know, will I one day want institutional capital? Perhaps. Will I tolerate having conversations with people who say very stupid things pertaining to my race? No.
0: So it's TBD on raising future future rounds. So do you think that you'll kind of be of a place Mm -hmm. where it's more inbound? Like, hey, you know, I'm interested about investing your business or is it uh, you think you will in a process or just like it's, you know, I'm not even to that point yet. Because I, you know, I hear you around like not wanting to work with with, you know, certain people, types of people.
1: You know, I don't know yet. Let's see. Oddly enough, I've had a number of inbounds and the inbounds have always come from growth investors. Yeah. And I have to say, I love growth investors way more. Just talking to growth investors way more than venture capitalists, to be honest, Um, but obviously I'm too small for a growth type check. Um, But I can see that if we did get to that time, we'd have a much better, I'd have a much better experience right because yeah. then it's like what's your revenues what's your EBITDA where are you, you have metrics. Yeah, they're just it's very talking clear. at the growth it's stage you' like Here it is. objective <laughs> right yeah. and, and you can't argue with objective metrics as opposed to you know at the very early stage it's super subjective and that's where all the bias of the planet sits. Right. And so for me now, it's just, I think one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. How do I grow? How do I grow? So I'm always looking at, you know, data, 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 data. I'm a data poor. Like, I'm just always looking, how do we do versus yesterday? What are we doing this? What are the conversion rates? Where are the exit page? Where are we dropping off? Where are customers not working? Like, just all the time. Like, if I blog, how, how does that send people to this product? Da 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 da. So that's my, I in. A, I'm in school in many ways right now because I'm learning like what's working, what's working, what's uh, working, I'm yeah. experimenting.
0: I love data as well. I wrote that down as a question. So what are some of the interesting things that you've learned through data? And maybe I'll, I'll phrase this in two different questions. So what are the things you've learned getting deep into the data so far with Boss? Has it informed any major decisions um, and then also, when do you go to your gut instead of the data? Like, is there ever a time where you're like, yeah. maybe the data is suggesting this, but my gut says this is the right answer? A lot of times, every day.
1: Um, <laughs> so I would say, so a couple of things. In the beginning, I was intrigued, I would say, to learn um, that in the beginning when we started, people would visit the page at least five times before they transacted. Mm -hmm. And we had built, um, and the minute we built something called Bossy Beauty DNA, which allows you to try on the products virtually, that number shrunk very quickly, right? Um, Because when I saw that, I was like five to seven times, why is it taking people so long to buy a single lip gloss? right? Right. The other thing I learned is that people were really trying the product because you'd have a customer that would buy one thing, And then five days later, she'd buy three things. And then five days later, she'd buy 10 things, right? So there was this repeat, but it was like, let me try this out first, right? Yeah. And so I also started to learn you've got to stay close to customers. If somebody's buying one thing, you need to get close to her and figure out, like, get her feedback, what's working, what's not working. And I found that people really want to be approached. And I think that in the early days of the business, when you... They're clearly not scaled, right? So you do the things that are not scalable, which is call up customers, have Zoom calls with customers, get their feedback. How did you feel when you went on the site? What was really annoying about it? Like, what did you not like? What did you like? So customers really helped me in figuring out where to optimize from a shopping experience. That was definitely something. Um, And then I just realized that people like something new. Right. And that's when we started to tinker with content and services. You know, I've always said that we are about the woman first, the woman behind the face, and then we want her face to be to be dressed up. um, Right. But we want to understand what is she going through? What is she thinking about? And that was really illuminated for me when the pandemic hit. I just wasn't even in the mood in the beginning to sell lipsticks, like to promote or to market. I just felt like the world is coming to an end. Why bother? (laughs) (laughs) So I started writing in our newsletters, just like, hey guys, kids are at home or scared. How are you doing? Like just real stuff or posting on Instagram, real stuff. And people loved it people would like write me back individually. Yeah, my daughter's having this and worth this and this, or, and, and people would send me pictures of I felt really shitty today. And I just put on this rouge lipstick and I feel, I feel like I can conquer my day. Right. And that started to really energize me in that, look, this is a really interesting product for people in an interesting time. And people are thinking about self-care. Don't sit back. This is exactly when you lean in.
0: You mentioned the sense of community and you kind of, Fell from what I recall, you kind of fell into this a little bit by writing to to your community and your customers during the pandemic. Do you have a community strategy going forward, or or is it still kind of organic?
1: As I said, I'm a real believer in experimentation,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So
1: I'm also trying to figure out. So I personally, as Aisha, love writing, and I think that when you realize that you people love brands because of the story of the founder of the brand and what this the brand founder is trying to create the experiences for consumers it really empowers you to be yourself right to really be unique especially in a business like beauty that especially makeup that is very saturated you know what's a red lipstick is a red lipstick is a red lipstick why is your red lipstick different why should people want to buy your products, right? It's really honing into what distinguishes you as a brand and what makes you great. And part of that was me being confident enough to just be myself, right? And so when I blog a lot, I find that people, when I just write, like I did this one blog post of, what happened, I didn't have a nanny. I didn't have a nanny, which was like the first time in my whole time of being a parent. I had no help at home. My Mm -hmm. husband was out of town. And I had a big meeting with a potential retailer. Um, And I had to take the kids with me to the meeting. And I was just like, oh, my God, what do I do? But eventually I was like, look, you want the business? And you need to keep the kids. So I was like, (laughs) so I show up. I'm like, yeah, drop the kids somewhere. So I show up to the meeting and I'm just like, hey, um... I've got my three kids. They're very good. They're gonna sit over in the, in the in the corner. Do you mind? And of course, they were fine with it. And I blogged about it. And the feedback I got from people, the, the, the blog post had nothing to do with lipstick, clearly. Yeah. I mean, there was a picture of me in my product on that day, but there was also a picture of the boys, right? And people were like, oh my God, that happened to me too. You know, this happened or that happened or that happened. And so I just realized that people want real stories. And it's not always, the community is not always about buy this lipstick, buy this lipstick, buy this lipstick, mm-hmm. right? It's just about a day in the life of an ambitious woman. And I just felt so empowered to continue to take customers along that journey. And so we actually just first published our guest blog post, I think, last Friday. And I'm going to start to do that more, to just reach out to customers and say, is there anything you want to share with
0: the community? If you do, drop it on the blog. I love that. I think about the same things as we think about founders telling their stories. What if someone's story, <laughs> I don't want to be moved. Like, what if someone's like, I- I'd love to tell a story, and it's like, You kind of read it and you're like, eh, are you going to publish it? Are you going to be real with that person? Like, how how do you balance that? Oh, you'll be
1: real with that. I've had (laughs) somebody once approach me with a story and it was like, it was, I can't remember the paraphrase, but it was something about when pigs wear lipstick Mm -hmm. and the story was basically about, it was something about not being good looking, but wearing lipstick and I was like, listen, I'm not gonna put this on this yeah, site, exactly. right? Like, yeah. first of all, this is super subjective. It's super, it's offensive potentially, and we don't believe to in assessing anybody's good looks. Like, everybody looks good. Mm-hmm. How you want to look is good, but I will not publish something on my site that refers to women as pigs. And she never came back to the site. She never bought from us, but that's okay. Yep. I Again, like I said, the great thing, and I'm still in the process of putting together like an ethical statement for the brand. I mean, if you go to our page, our store, we talk a lot about um, why we exist, what our core DNA is. We do a lot of partnerships with nonprofits. Like we are very clear about it, but I also want to add some more to that around, you know, who we are and who we are not.
0: Yeah. Super powerful. Going back to so something you mentioned earlier that I wrote down, I want to circle back to was uh, you mentioned the highs and lows of the year. What, what have been the highs and, and what have been the lows? Oh my
1: God.
0: So, high was definitely being on how I built this. <laughs> well, and the visible um, podcast.
1: Yes, of course. You didn't <laughs> let me finish. Can I finish? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> a high is being on how I built this. A high is this conversation right now. Um, a high is being alive as a brand. Um, I got to be honest with you. In April, I really thought about shutting it down. Um, I just was also in a bad place myself, not because I didn't enjoy it, but because I, I truly could not see the the initial. I wanna say trauma almost of the pandemic hitting was just the world is about to be over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hunker down, focus on your family, enjoy the last moments of this disease that's taking over the world. Mm -hmm. So I think just staying alive and feeling like, okay, there's an opportunity. Um, Another high has been, we've been approached by some really amazing retailers. Um, and we're in conversation, so I can't share any of their names. Yeah. Um, and just the notion that in under two years we can be having these type of conversations—you know—that you are discoverable, right? Because I want to put this in context for you, Mike. My biggest insecurity in starting this business was that I'm not—I'm not a marketer. Right? When you have a business card that says Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Standard Chartered, etc., a whole bunch of people have done the marketing for you. People make the assumption that you're smart. Right When you've gone to Cornell, you've gone to Harvard Business School, you've done the Stanford thing. It's like you have this whole credentialized thing that when you're walking into a client's office, they assume you're intelligent. Yeah. Now, when you are selling beauty products, nobody gives a damn. It's like, why is your product efficacious? Why do I care about you? There are 5,000 other lipstick sellers. Why is yours different? Why should I spend a dollar on you? And so I was super intimidated, petrified. How would I get one customer that's not my friend? Like somebody who's not like, okay, you're my friend, I'll support you. I had no idea how that would happen. And it just worried me every single day that I would not be able to distinguish myself. And so to forward to under two years where you and I are having this conversation, where Guy Raz is DMing me, where major prestige beauty retailers are emailing me. Like, yo, I don't know what to say. If that is not miraculous, mm-hmm. that is, I don't know what else to say. So in under two years, I feel like in terms of highs, we this brand has found its way on some really amazing radars and I am super humbled by it. I am super grateful. I mean the work has only begun. <laughs> I still so much. And when I look at like the goals, it's like, woo. <laughs> but just these affirmations of, okay, Aisha, keep going. Two years ago you were petrified, nobody wouldn't you wouldn't be able to make it if you're not a Kylie Jenner. And you're still not Kylie Jenner and you're you're kind of on your way doing your thing. So those have been highs. Lows, I already told you, where I thought the world was coming to an yeah. end. <laughs> the year itself has been just awful, I think. I went through just sort of low-grade misery, especially in June when, you know, this whole George Floyd mm-hmm. video came out. and. It's not like I didn't, I mean, obviously everybody's very well aware of what it's, well, I shouldn't say that, obviously I am very well aware of what it's like to be a Black person Mm -hmm. in America, and I live in sort of perfect Palo Alto, Um, and I have a six-foot-something husband who I tell to never, before this whole time, don't wear your hood, you know, especially at night. I have three boys who I'm cognizant of when they grow up to be careful as Black men in this country, but for it to just be so jarring now on TV all the time, and now you really have to sit down and talk to your kids about race, and you don't really have the words, right? Because how do you explain Mm -hmm. to them why race is a problem? So that was a super, super low period for me um, in this year. Um, And it just really made me feel down as a a business owner, as a woman, as a mother. um, That was challenging and remains challenging, but it was really, really deep in the summertime. Um, Yeah, I would say that those are those. And then just the general business malaise, right? I mean, my supply Mm. chain was... (laughs) I'm still waiting for products that were supposed to be here in in March, you know. I had hoped by now we'd have a whole new collection of things. You know, all my ambitions for this year, at least when they started the year, is completely different. But like I said, I've hit goals that I didn't know to have, and I've missed goals that I did have. Um, So, yeah, I'm just hoping that things get better.
0: Well, clearly you are a fantastic marketer. uh, (laughs) Thank you. Because... The, of all the success you've just laid out, how do you think about? And, and there's a, a much longer conversation to be had with what I'm about to say. But how do you think? What do you do to try to change those lows into, into highs, or, or how do you just combat those lows for your own your own psyche?
1: So I am, I am a Christian. My faith is the most important thing to me, and. This year, I've, I've been on a really special journey with God in just letting go. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like even when I said to you, where I felt like your zombie apocalypse has hit, the world is coming to an end. Even at that, I I prayed about it and I was like, okay, God, if that's your call, I just want me and my family together. If we're all gonna go, we go together, and it's gonna be okay. I have a very heightened sense of conscience because of my christianity and so i try to do good at all times i try to live in a way that is in, in in you know with the principles of my christianity and then they just keep me calm i tried once you and once you understand that you don't have control over anything you let things go. And so again, it's this one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, but knowing that there is a higher power that is orchestrating everything for you. And so even when I have disappointments, right? I mean, in some of these highs that I've told you, some of the the retailers that I've spoken to, some of the conversations haven't gone as well as I would have hoped, right? And you're like, oh my God, I thought this was a win. Why is it not a win? And you kind of feel really upset about it. But then I remember that, listen, I know where I started and I know where I am. And it's, such a divine journey that when something doesn't happen for you, there is a reason. And so just let it go. And so honestly, I have to say that a lot of the calm that I, you know, somehow exude right now is is real, is 100% based on my spirituality. I don't call it religion or religiousness, because I think that's more of an institution as opposed to spirituality is more of my relationship with God.
0: That was an incredible kind of journey there for myself. Uh, uh, Kind of touching on that, uh, what in on how you deal with the lows, uh, your own stress, do you have a routine or what are some things you do to stay? um, Is it like a routine or or how do you stay sane, quote unquote, as as a founder?
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, so I feel like my really close friends are my co-founders by force. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) guys, I have a problem and somebody needs to help me. It's like the WhatsApp messages are going, the text messages are going. My poor friends, I'm like screenshotting this thing. Like, what do you think about this design? Should we change this? Should we change that? My husband is... You know, he's just a super, super believer in me. And so when I'm down, he's the first person I go to because he will very quickly convince me as to why I'm being completely silly about being down right now, about this, the way I feel. Um, so my husband, my mom is a great supporter. My children are amazing. Like if I say to them, oh, oh I'm down about this and they really encourage me. I take them on the journey of entre- entrepreneurship. We fulfill at home. So they are they get to see how busy mommy is with fulfilling orders. And when we have new products, I show them. They think it's really cool what I'm doing. I mean, they listen to how I built this with me all the time. And so when I told them that Guy Raz had reached out to me, I mean, they literally did a dance in the living room. That's how much they, so my family is a Guy yeah. Raz, like Stan family. I, like I said, God is a major way how I how I keep afloat my friends, my family. I just have a, a really beautiful, supportive tribe. I am, and again, I, I attribute that to God and just putting the most amazing people around me. Um, James, who I mentioned was the CEO of Jamba Juice when I got like some, and I'm having these conversations with retailers because he has grown. A huge retail brand, I pick up the phone and I'm like, James, I need I to talk to you. What about these terms? Can you help me with supply chain? So I have like these really amazing, even last week, I spoke to this guy who used to be the CFO and president of Elf Cosmetics, making him my advisor. He doesn't know yet, so I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but he used to be a, a partner at... Um, at TPG. So he knows sort of the whole financing world, but he also knows cosmetics. So I called him up about another partnership that we're working on. And I was like, look, here, there are two that we're thinking about. And I called him up, hey, John, thinking about this, am I thinking about it the right way? And he was like, that one, don't do that one. This one could be great. So I'm really, again, this is also privilege in that I have access to some really amazing people who I can call up and say, and get free advice from. Like how many people can speak to somebody who was a partner at uh, TPG or somebody who was the CEO of, of Jumpa Juice. Um, so I have a really awesome mix of, of friends, family and supporters who want to see me win. And so, yeah, that's what I do in my down days. And now my Peloton as well. I have a Peloton, so. I just know when want Friday. Did you? Wonderful. We have
0: to, we'll have to be Peloton friends. We have to. We have to. Uh, my, I just got one on Friday. I, it was one of those things where uh, I was really into like group fitness as like my thing to do to kind of keep my mind right and, and stress relief. Pre-COVID, obviously, COVID hit and blew all that up. And so I was like, all right, let's buy a Peloton. And then in March, it was like, okay, it's like an eight-week time frame. I was like, all right, this will be over in eight weeks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's Someone my wishful thinking. I was like, ah, oh, that's fine. And then like, June came around. And it was like a 12-week wait. And I was like, okay. Is too long, like whatever. And then I was like, all right, I just, just got to buy the bullet and get it. So we, we got it. And it's so far, it's been awesome. We've been on every day. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's like, talk about, like, I, I call it like the Apple of fitness, where it's got Absolutely, incredible it hardware. It's got the software. It's got the community. So we'll have to be, we'll have to be Peloton friends. Yes. Um, last question. This is one that we do every week, uh, every Monday. So our team, all hands, uh, we always give thanks to, to someone uh, that helped us the week before. Is there anyone that you know you would love to give thanks to, maybe that you have or haven't uh, given thanks? I'm sure it's a long list, but is there anyone that you'd like to give thanks to as we wrap this episode up?
1: Wow, you are right. It is a long list. Um, and in the absence of thanking God, which is obvious, I will thank my husband. He is, some days I'm like, is this dude for real? He's just... Always supportive of my madness. It's like I sometimes I'm like, you should have married a normal woman. He's just so supportive and won't let me feel down about myself. He will not allow imposter syndrome to sink into my soul. He is such a believer in me. He is, he's super in my corner and I'm. You know, really grateful for him in terms of that support um, and just making me feel like I can fly. And when I when I doubt myself, he will set me straight and he will tell me you are you are you are underselling yourself. He'll give me that hard word that I need. Um, and so he's definitely somebody if I have to pick one person that I want to thank right now.
0: How do you deal with it? So this is a sorry. I know that was supposed to be my last question. <laughs> Ask this as is my many, i got time.
1: Go ahead, go ahead.
0: This is one I, I really struggle with and I've gotten this feedback from people too before. Um, you are naturally a confident person. I think that oozes out of you actually, like it really does, at least to me. Uh, but you mentioned that you had uh, this and, and you would bet on yourself 100% of the time. Uh, you'd bet mm-hmm. the house on yourself. But it sounds like one of your big um, questions was like, I'm not a marketer, uh, I've never done beauty before uh, and maybe you weren't as confident and and I think maybe some of that's imposter syndrome of being, you know, a founder. How do you deal with that, right? Because I think if you if you have confidence, uh, then uh, whatever you're trying to accomplish is it comes through. Uh how, how do you deal with imposter syndrome or, or is it something you're still battling or you battle with?
1: Oh god, I battle it all the time. And the thing about it, one of my favorite terms is leveling up right i just always want to move this ambitious f- thing in me is that what's the next level what's the next level what's the next level right this is sort of life because i grew up in an apprenticeship industry right as an investment banker you get taught and then you go from here to here to here. you're always moving up on the ladder And so every time I'm at a ladder, I'm super nervous about being on the ladder. And then I get super, super, super comfortable because, you know, that that discomfort and that fear and that insecurity then kind of makes me focus, makes me grind down and work and, you know, kind of feel that mastery. And then but you go through sort of the bumps before you get to mastery of that level. And then for me very quickly, then I'm like, all right, okay. so can we just move back? I get very bored. Once I've mastered it, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the next level then I go through that process all over again. So I'll give you a very perfect example. One of my Ambitions in when I was at Stanford was that I would start this company, but I really wanted a portfolio life. And when I say portfolio life, is I wanted to be able to kind of do a bunch of different things. And so one of the things was that I would run this business. I wanted to sit on some corporate boards and I wanted to sit on some nonprofit boards. And the way I thought about it was that you got the sort of financial muscle in my head and 20-some odd years of experience. Um, to a large extent, I'm not using all of those muscles in building my business. So I want to make sure that I keep flexing those muscles and every time I get called to be on a board I will look at who are the other board members and I'll tell my husband oh my god these people called me for the board I'm so nervous like can I really have a seat at the table with xyz I'll go through this all over again um, where I'm not good enough can I really have something to say at the same table with you know xyz and I go through it again and then I say, if it's a board that I ultimately say yes to, I'm intimidated, but then eventually I'm like, that guy's cool, we're good, we're good. Like he's got yeah. his thing, I've got my thing, I'm good, right? After a while, and then it's like, ah, it's fine. <laughs> and then the next board comes and you're like, I don't think I can sit at the table with this person, right? So it's just this, and he is my, and this is why my husband's really good because I just got on a board recently of a publicly traded SPAC. And I remember when I was approached about it, um, I said to my husband, I don't think I can't do this. And and this is the thing he said that was like, I need to do it. He was like, he didn't say much. He was like, well, if it was me, I would say yes. And I was like, "Ah, okay, fine. I'll do it. (laughs) So yeah. So I'm on, I'm on the board of that SPAC. And the CEO is just an amazing, phenomenal gentleman who's just brilliant and got so much great experience. And it's really wonderful to, you know, I think that what's going on with SPACs right now is just really amazing. And, and our goal around trying to reimagine the way amazing companies go public is just something to be, you know, I feel really fortunate to be a part of it. Um, but again, every new level is like, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? And then you, over time, start to realize that I'm never going to be you. You're never going to be me. And, I, and I'm, I have to lean into you know, the experience that I have and the brilliance that I bring to the table. And it's not, you know, I can't cover all topics, but the topic that I can cover, I, I believe that I will deliver with 100% effectiveness. So it's a process, but I do deal with imposter syndrome all the time.
0: Well, this, again, uh, has been incredible. I was, I think, crying, laughing, fist-pumping again. <laughs> Uh, So thank you, Aisha, so much for your time. I know it is probably the most valuable thing you have as as a person and as a founder. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I can't wait to do this again. And maybe we'll even talk about SPACs at some point, or maybe Bossy is going to have a SPAC. So thanks again for coming on, and we'll see everyone soon.
1: Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate that you invited me to your podcast. I hope your community loves it. It's been an awesome experience being a customer of yours. And just thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story.
0: I love it. Thanks.